Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Good morning, I'm Brian Curtis. And I'm Doug Krisner. Here are the stories we're following today. The White House meeting between the president and congressional leaders has ended without a major agreement on funding Ukraine. Let's get Ed Baxter in San Francisco, who has the story, Ed. Yeah, probably no surprise, huh, Brian? The uh, the issue going in was a U.S. southern border, and obviously for House Majority Leader Mike Johnson, it was a chance to, well, explain GOP grievances. We documented 64 instances where the president took executive action or his agencies took action to create the current catastrophe that we have at the border. It is a national security and a humanitarian catastrophe. And I articulated that to the president in the meeting now. We understand that there's concern about uh, the safety, security, sovereignty of Ukraine, but the American people have those same concerns about our own domestic sovereignty. Now, Johnson does say slight progress, but Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer well, a difference, Ben. These attacks are a clear example of terrorism, violation of international law. Excuse me, that is, a, that is a, not uh, Mr. Schumer. He says, uh, he says basically there was just very little progress. There was Democratic and Republican agreement that was essential we help Ukraine. Yeah, so a little bit different there. And a meeting at the White House Friday has been scheduled with uh, Biden administration cabinet officials and counterparts from Mexico focus on reducing immigration. Meanwhile, the other congressional issue is funding for the government with another deadline this weekend. Uh, Schumer says, yeah, some progress there. If both sides continue to work in good faith, I'm hopeful we can pass the CR by tomorrow and avoid an unnecessary and costly shutdown. And that, of course, it needs the House and the President. The Biden administration has put the Houthi militant group back on global terrorism list. It's a turnaround for the administration to remove the Houthis as the U.S. sought to ease tensions during the Yemeni Civil War. And NSC official John Kirby underscores the intent here. Today's designation targets the Houthis, not the Yemeni people. The United States remains the world's leading donor of humanitarian assistance for Yemen. We recognize that more than 15 million people in Yemen are still in desperate need of food. So what does it do? Well, State Department spokesman Matthew Miller. The effect that we think it will have will be to uh, allow us to deny the Houthis access to the U.S. financial system. Yeah, and Miller emphasizes U.S. could rescind the destination if the Houthis stopped their Red Sea attacks. Meanwhile, Secretary of State Antony Blinken is making his way back to the U.S. from Davos, where he says there's a definite vision for the future. Much of what we're trying to do, we can't effectively get done alone. We have to have partners. We have to reimagine, as we've been doing our partnerships. 
His uh, plane had some mechanical issues, but another will ferry him home. Philippines says it is planning a more robust, in its words, military activity with the U.S. and its allies. Says it is facing more and more aggressive activity from China. Says it wants to build up capabilities to be more effective contributor to regional stability. Global News 24 hours a day and whenever you want it with Bloomberg News Now in San Francisco. I'm Ed Baxter and this is Bloomberg. All right, Brian. All right, thanks very much, Ed. Well, the Fed says strong consumer spending has helped lift the U.S. economy in recent weeks. That's according to the Beige Book survey. The report said that consumers delivered some seasonal relief over the holidays, and that that generally helped meet spending expectations. Nearly all the Fed districts reported one or more signs of a cooling labor market. And today we also got U.S. retail data that showed sales rising by the most in three months. Well, J.P. Morgan Chase CEO Jamie Dimon was saying today, it's a fine line to walk for investors, but China is open for American business. Dimon sat down with CNBC on the sidelines of the World Economic Forum in Davos. They've been very consistent in opening up. Took a long time, so we have full license there now. But I think, you know, anyone who is looking to invest in there has to be a little worried. So and, uh, and, you know, the risk reward has changed dramatically. You know, and of course, you know, it's a company like J.P. Morgan. You know, I always say when it comes to foreign policy, Blinken decides and the president. You know, I salute. I'm an, uh, uh, an American patriot. But they want us there. They're not, they're not asking American companies to leave. Jamie Dimon there, the CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase. You know, he is the longest serving CEO of a major U.S. bank, and he has long pointed to geopolitical tensions as a major challenge for the global economy. Brian? And the Treasury Secretary, Janet Yellen, is calling on the U.S. Congress to pass a temporary spending bill this week and avert a partial U.S. government shutdown. Here's Yellen speaking before Washington lawmakers. Failing to fund the government by this Friday's deadline would harm American families and small businesses across the country. I'm heartened there's bipartisan agreement and urge members of Congress to meet the deadline to prevent an unnecessary shutdown and protect the critical domestic and national priorities we've advanced over the past three years. Janet Yellen, a short-term spending measure would fund some U.S. agencies that were set to run out of money at the end of the week. Well, it would fund them through March 1st. Shares in Charles Schwab were down about 1.3% in the regular session. This is after the company reported a drop in profit for the fourth quarter. Here's Bloomberg's Ann Cates. New assets at Charles Schwab fell 48% in the fourth quarter. Bank deposits declined 21%, and Schwab's total retail brokerage accounts missed analyst expectations. Schwab had to navigate a tumultuous year of interest rate hikes that dented its balance sheet and eroded the value of its investments. Consumers also pulled their deposits in search of higher-yielding alternatives. Schwab calls it the most challenging time since the bursting of the Internet bubble in 2000. In Washington, Ann Cates, Bloomberg Radio. Meantime, Apple has to stop selling its Series 9 and Ultra 2 smartwatches with a blood oxygen feature in the United States. It's another legal setback in a patent dispute with Massimo. Bloomberg's Ed Ludlow says this is far from the end of the story. What the U.S. uh, Court of Appeals for the Federal Circus is saying is they are rejecting Apple's request for a longer pause on what was uh, the International Trade Commission ban that was put in place. The mechanics of that are that they will have to stop selling uh, the Series 9 and Ultra 2, but a much longer appeals process will play out. And Apple has said that that appeals process can last for about a year. 
That's Bloomberg's Ed Ludlow. Apple says the appeals process could last a year or more. And we did see Apple trade lower today, down about a half a percent. That was more or less in line with the market. From Apple, we go to its South Korean rival, Samsung. Samsung is turning to artificial intelligence to revamp its flagship Galaxy smartphones. We have more from Bloomberg's Yvonne Mann in Hong Kong. Samsung unveiled its Galaxy S24 phones at its Unpacked conference. All the phones have AI tools based on Gemini technology from Google. The devices can translate phone calls live and transcribe voice recordings. They can also summarize web articles, fix handwriting, and fill in parts of photos. The launch is one of the most ambitious attempts to weave AI into smartphones' interface and features. Previously, AI software would be mostly in the cloud. Now, it's on the phones. Samsung is targeting double-digit growth for its latest smartphone series. In Hong Kong, I'm Yvonne Mann, Bloomberg Radio. The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. I'm Brian Curtis, along with Vonnie Quinn, and our guest is Michael McKee, Bloomberg International Economics and Policy Correspondent, to take a closer look here at the Beige Book and the U.S. economy. Mike, thanks very much for joining us. On balance, because there's always conflicting signals, but on balance from all these districts, is the U.S. economy tilting a little hot or tilting a little cool or somewhere more neutral? It's, I guess uh, you'd call it uh, somewhat neutral compared to where we've been in the sense that uh, the economy has been very strong. People were expecting it to slow down and cool off quite a bit. But the latest data show the slowdown is happening, but not as much as people thought might. Uh, the retail sales numbers today are very strong. And in general, the economy is continuing to perform at a very good level. There's no sign of uh, recession there. So overall, kind of status quo to where we have been. Michael, how on earth is the consumer this resilient? Are these all the stock market gains from last year? Well, really, it's funny because you've been out shopping a lot. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, That's only one tenth uh, of a percent. That's OK. <laughs> we don't really know. Uh, the stock market gains may fuel a little bit of it, but it's not keeping people. Uh, it's not keeping the numbers all the way up because the people who are making big gains in the stock market, uh, they've already been spending and it's not really going to make a change in their day to day lifestyle. It just seems that people have, I would say it seems that people have jobs now. More people are working than ever. And each month we get another 200000 or so on payrolls. And that money 
is going into their pockets and then going back out again. There's less being spent on gasoline, so there can be more spent on other things. And overall, it's just a sign of a, a reasonably healthy economy that uh, unemployment's low and people are able to keep spending. Yeah, you would think that from the Fed standpoint, um, the fact that firms noted uh, some easing in inflationary pressures, uh, that that coupled with pretty healthy spending is a pretty good combination. Yeah, that's the good news uh, for the Fed. Uh, When they look at this, they see the economy is in pretty good shape. It's hard to know exactly if they feel the retail sales numbers suggest that maybe things are overheating. Uh, We'll have to see how January goes. But for right now, it looks like the economy is chugging along at a level that can be sustained because inflation continues to go down. There seem to be uh, lower and lower inflation pressures. We see it reflected in the beige book. And then next week, we're going to get the PCE inflation numbers. And there's some forecasts from economists that they will be below 3%. Yeah. Michael, can I ask you about industrial production? Because the, you know, overall rate went up. It's an expansion, uh, even though economists were expecting a contraction in December. But the Empire State fell into a trough in the last month's data. How do we, you know, account for both of those? Well, the Empire numbers reflect only manufacturing in New York State. And it is a very volatile number. It tends to go up and down a lot. Now, this was an extreme variation on that. But uh, what most economists do is look at the various regional manufacturing indexes from around the country. Then we'll get Philadelphia tomorrow and see if they all match up or if somebody's an outlier. And the general feeling is that this was an outlier. Uh, Overall manufacturing production rose in December. So the idea of a big drop off in early January doesn't seem uh, correct. So we'll see when we get Philadelphia and we start to get the others uh, coming in. Uh, The feeling is maybe it's just kind of a noise from this Mm -hmm. indicator. Mike, you know, we cover markets aggressively. I mean, all throughout the day on Bloomberg, we're doing updates about every 15 minutes or so. So I have to ask you uh, this kind of question. Uh, You've got inflation coming down. Uh, You've got uh, consumers still spending in a reasonably robust fashion and earnings are up this year. There's not really all that much at the moment to knock the bulls off their perch, is there? Nothing other than psychology. And of course, that plays a big role in uh, the markets. And there's been a feeling that we were due for some sort of correction, which seems to be what's happening. There doesn't seem to be a reason for uh, any kind of gloom on the part of equity investors, except for whatever their view of valuations is. And maybe they felt things ran up too high, but it doesn't look like there is an economic problem, an economic aspect to the downtrend that we've seen. Can I ask about uh, Chris Waller, Michael? Is he the only person we should be listening to right now? I liked Neil Dutta's <laughs> comment that you know he opened the door to a March cut and perhaps he's the only one who can close it. And maybe he did that yesterday. Maybe. It does seem that the markets have started to reprice after his speech. Um, there's still a majority view that we could get a rate cut in March, but that is uh, s- gradually slowing down. Um, and Chris Waller does seem to be the new intellectual center of the Fed. Now, uh, what we don't know is how Jay Powell feels, because he only speaks once or twice a quarter. We don't hear 
very much from him. But in terms of those who do speak regularly, Waller's been the one that's been out front. He was the first one to suggest rate cuts could be coming in 2024 mm. before the Fed changed its uh, its views. Uh, and now he's talking about um, definitely rate cuts, but let's be careful about when and how much. Yeah, he made those comments in November that the chair sort of had to walk back a little bit. Uh, was there anything he said yesterday that the chair might need to walk back on? I don't think so. I mean, I think what he said made a lot of sense. Uh, he did, the Fed is very good at saying something that sounds like it's new and it's not. <laughs> yeah, the idea of uh, we're, we're, we're probably going to cut rates. OK, we knew that. And we should do it carefully and not yes. uh, cut yes. rates too fast. Well, that makes a lot of sense as well. For years on the Fed beat, I used to laugh when Fed officials would come out and say, we're going to be vigilant on inflation. And people <laughs> ran that as a headline and it's sort of like, well, that's your job. <laughs> that's what you're supposed to be doing. So a lot of times people feel like uh, there's something new there and it really isn't. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Asia, your morning brief on the stories making news from Hong Kong to Singapore and Wall Street. Look for us on your podcast feed every day on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcast. You can also listen live each day on Bloomberg 1130 in New York, Bloomberg 991 in Washington, Bloomberg 1061 in Boston, and Bloomberg 960 in San Francisco. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices, just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Plus, listen coast to coast on the Bloomberg Business app, Sirius XM, the iHeartRadio app, and on Bloomberg.com. I'm Brian Curtis. And I'm Doug Krisner. Join us again tomorrow for all the news you need to start your day right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.